0: before i start thank you for listening this is the ignition podcast ready to fuel your passion for cars and motorsport every monday and thursday we bring you stories valuable career tips and tricks that will help you navigate the automotive world so don't miss out follow the ignition podcast now and join the drive towards becoming the number one automotive podcast worldwide let's embark on this thrilling journey together enjoy the episode getting into motorsport can be extremely hard people try their whole life to make it as a racing driver and never do So why are most people taking a conventional route, like university? Why aren't more people like Ryan creating their own companies to help others prepare in a more action-based approach? Are you, like Ryan, trying to enter the industry from a different angle? Or are you like everyone else and struggling to see the light at the end of the tunnel? By the end of this episode, you will be inspired to try something new. And if you do find it helpful, please share this episode to help others like you create a path of their own.
1: I have a big ambition. I'd love to be the First Circuit Racing Championship broadcast globally, but from Africa. What ignited your passion for cars? Every week, my grandma would take me to the local Morrisons uh, where you could buy little Hot Wheels cars. It was sitting there on my bedroom floor pushing those little cars around the roads, creating my own little tracks from the road layouts and different circuits and things like that. One of the reasons I work on some of the things I do now is because actually I didn't really get much guidance from teachers, and if I did, it wasn't necessarily the best guidance to steer me in the right way to make the most of what I could actually do. And then I did get one piece of advice uh, at an open day. It's probably one of the best pieces of advice I was told you basically told me.
0: Ryan, welcome to the podcast. How are we? Good, thanks. How are you? Very good, thank you. Why is what you're doing important? Ooh,
1: good question. Um, well, it depends which bit of what I'm doing you mean, but <laughs> with relation to uh, some of the stuff I do in motorsport, so what I'm doing at the moment is really trying to give young people opportunities that, that I didn't get when I was growing up and uh, introduce some things that I wish I, I did have uh, with the knowledge that I've now got. From working in engineering and being a, a general motorsport fan, so mm. yeah, no, my mission is to is to try and give back um, as much as I can. Uh, and we're we're very much at the start of that journey, to be honest.
0: No, it sounds it sounds very much the same as as, as why I started this podcast. It's it's you know it's the whole give back and you know try and give people an opportunity that you know you didn't have or you, you missed out on because of what was going on around you. Or for instance, for me, it was school wasn't you know, as helpful as it could have been with, you know, finding me a a pathway into cars. And I'm sure it's the same for you, if that's the case.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think definitely it's it's enlightening now going back into schools as a STEM ambassador, which I've been doing for about seven years. Um, Because you you get just a a completely different perspective, because obviously when you're at school, it's kind of you. Obviously, you know what your friends are going Mm -hmm. through, maybe. um, But actually having to stand there in front of 30 teenagers most of the time in my case when you're delivering sessions and going into a, a lesson thinking I'm prepared I know what I'm doing um, this is how I would have liked it to have been you present it and you realize that half the class is not listening to you <laughs> or you know it hasn't quite resonated how you wanted it's quite eye-opening and I've learned a lot along the way about um, a lot of young people's different needs and uh, I think hopefully with what we're uh, soon to launch within but then actually motorsport. It, it captures some of those experiences so that mm. we can really hit the ground running and, and give as many young people as many experiences, uh, good experiences within schools as, as we can.
0: Yeah. I mean, so let's go back to where, I guess, where it started for you then, Ryan. So, so what ignited your passion for cars in the first place?
1: Ooh, so if I go really, really far back. So I, I wouldn't like to pin a year or how old I was particularly, <laughs> but I know I was very young. Um, so in The old house that we used to live in in Rochdale, I had the smallest room in the house. And uh, in my bedroom, I had a a floor with basically a carpet with loads of road uh, and different sort of road layouts on it. Uh, And every week my grandma, or every couple of weeks, my grandma would take me to to the local Morrisons uh, where you could buy little Hot Wheels cars. Uh, And I think, to be honest, if I was to pin a point where I started Mm -hmm. getting interested in cars, it was sitting there on my bedroom floor pushing those little cars around the roads, creating my own little tracks from the road layouts and different circuits and things like that. Um, and then following on from that, my dad would, you know, be watching formula one. Um, I remember the sort of McLaren and era kind of vaguely. Mm -hmm. And, and my real sort of interest started when Lewis Hamilton came into, into McLaren for the first time and sort of what the impact that he had. So, um, yeah, so I suppose, that's kind of really where it all started and just kind of escalated
0: from there really called playmate rugs right? i know you're talking about because i used to have one of those as well i still have got a <laughs> box of box of plastic red hot wheels in a the little tub up in, my, in my room nice it, nice it is it's one of those things where you almost you i remember when you go around friends houses as well and you're like you see what they've got and you kind of <laughs> sorry my camera dropped there. And, that's all good no problem at all that's does editing's sorry. for um yeah yeah it's because you have one of those you know you, you go to your friends mate you see what cars they have and you kind of you talk about that don't you just is that because it was for that's how i talk yeah. to, to my mates about cars
1: i think um i probably i had those before i had my first scale electric set i, I definitely remember um it's only recently because i've been doing a bit of work with scale electrics that uh um I checked out their starter set, their figure of eight, and I was surprised at how little it's actually changed since yeah. I had the set. The only thing that's changed, I think, is pretty much the packaging on the front where there used to be a little boy on it having fun, and now there's just the actual kit and what's inside. So, yeah, um, those are probably some early memories as well. i had a lot of fun with those kind of sets and um, nagging my mum for, as you do with most Homey products, get the next upgrade, then the next one, now I want another car and another bit of track and, and so on.
0: Yeah, cause you kind of upgrade from like hot wheels tracks to scale electric tracks and after scale electric tracks if you are lucky you might you might feel what it's like to drive a go-kart for the first time and it kind of progresses like that you're going kind to of get more and more addicted mm. to it yeah yeah definitely and uh i guess video games as well um
1: my dad had uh, we I'm really going back now but we had uh when, when and the time when we had dial-up internet router used to make a beeping noise. It's, uh, he used to have some old rally games uh, and, a, and a sort of joystick controller on PC. He used to sit with me and, and teach me how to drift Colin McRae style uh, around various different layouts and stuff, so yeah. <laughs> I can't say that that translates to real life. I've never tried it. <laughs> um, maybe it does, I can rekindle it from how good I was when I was seven. But. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think i think the only car now with the, with the joystick is the old the, the sinclair thing you know with the pedals and the electric motor you know, the little joystick in it yeah yeah i remember that I do remember <laughs> if that. you can drift that thing around you yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, someone's can get out of a seat and you, you can go in there we go exactly yeah so i mean where i know for me like school when it came to it i, I said those those memories with, with hot wheels those guys didn't go to school with me so when i came to secondary school i guess when you start looking at what's, what's out there after school and you start thinking about what, what happens when it ends, what was that experience for like for you growing up? What were your, what was your like, early school memories, like being a car enthusiast, being a motorsport enthusiast back then? What was that like for you? It wasn't bad, to be honest. It, uh, it was kind of the in thing, really. If it was probably yeah. anything, it was the one thing that I could connect
1: with people the most about. Um, I do remember occasionally, uh, and it was one particular year at our primary school, we uh, must have been a thing at other primary schools, but you had things like show and tell. So you could bring in things that related to your hobbies and um, you guarantee the, the loads of the boys and, and some of the girls as well were bringing in uh the, the sort of car toys and, and things like that i also had as well i had a bit of a what was it was a probably a bit less cool but i um i was also interested in model trains as well at the same time uh, so my hobby at around sort of seven eight and nine i was kind of split between those two things um then kind of deviated back to more towards cars again. But yeah, that, that passion kind of really struck up through uh, my grandmother's neighbor uh, in his garage. It wasn't, he didn't have a car in the garage. He just had a, a ginormous Hornby train set. It, it, it's bigger than, I don't know if you've ever been to the National Railway Museum in York, but they have a whole exhibit of model trains in there. Oh, wow. And it, was, it, it, it could rival that. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, so I was like, well. That's probably what struck my interest more on, in, in terms of the engineering side and like things with moving parts and things like that because you could obviously build that up and configure it and, and stuff like that. But I'm not sure my parents and grandparents enjoyed that too much because
0: that hobby was way more expensive than the car one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know, when model trains cost more than actual trains at this point. And it's a dangerous hobby. Uh, yeah, no, well, it's...
1: more than a train ticket and that says a lot. So. Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh uh, again like you know you, you, it's great because when you, you mentioned engineering you know the more things that move and i when i was a kid as well like funny how things worked was you know that was it like i'd take things apart if i bought if bought me a lego set it wouldn't stay very long the way it was supposed to and you would break it down and you would play yeah. with it and, and we, how did you find out that that was like something you were interested in something you wanted to pursue was there was a teacher at school that kind of gave you a leg up or was there a, was there a thing that maybe? When you're looking at careers and and you're watching, I like doing this and that, how did you put those things together?
1: Yeah, um,
0: to be honest,
1: there's an element of I was not fantastic at one specific area of science, tech or maths. I was just sort of, without wishing to brag, just sort of consistently good across the board. But I was never brilliant at one. Um, And if you look at what engineering requires, it requires you generally to be pretty good across the board but you don't have to be an expert in one specific area so naturally it felt like a bit of sort of natural progression one of the reasons i work on some of the things i do now is because actually i didn't really get much guidance from teachers to say hey this is something that you should probably look at and if i did it wasn't necessarily the best guidance to steer me in the right way to make the most of what i could actually do um so yeah i think um I suppose what, what got me into engineering, definitely I'll say already the train sets and the cars and um, one toy that we haven't mentioned yet that I really enjoy playing with, which I still think they make it now, but not in anywhere near the same quantity as they used to. was connects um, you know, the little stick connect Oh, yeah. Plastic yeah, things yeah, yeah, that yeah, you, could make, you could build. You so. can build like roller coasters with them and Ferris wheels and all that sort of stuff. Um, I used to love playing with that. I had when, when you could buy lots of it from Argos and other retailers are available. But uh, yeah, when you could buy lots of it from places like that, uh, which you can't really do anymore. Um, I, I had loads of it under my bed, um, probably more of that than I did Lego in all honesty. So yeah, I think when I kind of stitch it all together, um, I wouldn't say there's one particular moment where I went, engineering's for me. Um, it was more just, it felt kind of like the right thing to do. And um, I suppose if I look, look at it now, it, it was probably a decent choice in all honesty.
0: Well, yeah, you have got the uh, background, isn't it? So now they're creating kits for kids. You all could order through the windows. like companies like I think Kiwico, and like you know you you can make mm-hmm. a catapult. And this guy, uh, the guy called Mark Rober on YouTube, if you know him, what he's doing as well with with his like engineering boxes and stuff, which is quite cool. Okay. But yeah, yeah, but it's interesting because like it's going to sound like we're old people. But we're all that, I'm that old, I'm Like when we were kids, it was you know yeah. skates, hedging, the, the kinetic stuff, is, and Lego. That's what us we played with. That's what you with. And like, I'd occasionally play the, you know, the game of fours or the game of Horizon. And that, that would be, that'd be my like, you know, my, my delving into my sort of, you know, car, car nerding. Was it there? I mean, so, yeah. But when it came to university or like leaving school and leaving secondary school and I, I like, how did you pick what you were gonna do? And was there just like, cause you mentioned school wasn't really helpful. So did you do any research? Did you look into things? When it came to like, oh, I'm 16, 17 doing A levels. Did you do A levels? I don't know. What was, what was that like? It's okay to talk, right? Well, Tacona is a brand that's changing mental health awareness. I have always been one that's found it hard to talk and that my feelings, well they weren't exactly best spoken. Once I found Tacona and learned more about what Lewis does, I was amazed that a clothing brand is making people aware just with one simple logo. If you see a Tacona t-shirt, a shirt, a cap, a hat, a sticker, whatever it is, you know that person knows it's okay to talk and because they want to help spread the message. Tacona is giving us 10% off. If you listen to this podcast, in the show notes below will be a link to the website, and if you use code Ignition10, you get 10% off store-wide products. So, enjoy, and enjoy the rest of the episode.
1: So I didn't do A-levels, no. Uh, So I, uh, because of the situation we were in at the time, uh, I knew that I had to work alongside being at college, uh, especially if I wanted to then get to university and have a bit of financial support while I was there and Mm. and things like that so in a way that kind of wrote off A levels um just because the amount that I'd actually have to be there (laughs) uh, you know five days a week and things like that so um which I think is something that can be often overlooked I think when I speak to people around so you know making education accessible it's kind of just assumed that of course you're going to do A levels if you've got the grades I had the grades but uh it just wasn't really going to work out in in terms of where I was in my life and family and things like that so I did a a vocational course at college instead Um, so that meant that I had to really focus and think at GCSE level okay I'm going to go into some sort of discipline um, and it's going to be more specific than if I picked A-levels where I could have three or four subjects and then start whittling it down and thinking about it then. Um, So yeah that I think kind of really sharpened my thinking. during GCSEs, I obviously I was quite fortunate that a lot of the things that I played with and a lot of the toys that I interacted with were telling me that something in the design, tech and engineering space was probably going to be for me. And then I did get one piece of advice uh, at an open day um, when I was talking about, you know, they were asking me, what do you want to do with your career if you were to do engineering? And uh, and I said, well, I, I, re- I really love motorsport. I love my high-performance cars and things like that um, I would probably look to do a motorsport engineering degree and, and probably about 15 or 16 at this point and um, it's probably one of the best pieces of advice I was told you basically told me uh, don't do a specific motorsport engineering degree or course go and do a broad engineering subject because then in mechanical engineering or you can do one of these electronics ones or systems one or something that that keeps mm-hmm. your options open because one, you never know if your opinions or thoughts are going to change uh, your aspirations. And two, you can always go into the specifics uh, and learn that at, at a later stage, if that's really what you want to do. So um, yeah, I picked a, I did a BTech in mechanical engineering. Um, I did the one that was equivalent to three A-levels to get me to university if that's what I wanted to do at that point, which is what I did. Um, And yeah, I haven't really looked back ever since then. Um, And I I enjoyed my college course, but uh, yeah, I kind of wish there was more of us because we we started with 35 at the beginning of the course and we finished with four. So Wow. uh, (laughs) So one of those subjects Uh, which sounds cool at the time but never actually
0: ends up being what you think it is.
1: I think so. I think um, it's one of those things and engineering does have this issue where there's a real difficulty communicating what's actually involved. There's some engineering courses that, very clearly need to communicate that this is practical. It probably helps if you've done some hands-on work before you even start the course. I'm thinking like apprenticeship level qualifications, like MVQs, city and guilds, all the things that people who service and maintain your car will have done and things like that, and people who machine parts and so on. Um, and then there's the other aspect, which is more the people, the engineers who are probably gonna work in an office of some sort, um, leading teams, going through the theory, uh, checking that systems work running simulations all the the sort of maths and the science aspects that actually make you then give to the technicians for them to actually make it and i think um i i felt back then i think it has got better but back then that wasn't always necessarily clearly clearly labeled especially in the vocational course side of things
0: in like i um, like what you mentioned earlier about you know, most most people were thinking they'd just go straight to a levels you know because that's what i thought would happen because that's what i was what I've been surrounded with, like my friends, what my friends did, what at different schools, my brother went straight to do edibles, my sister's doing edibles now, like, it just seems to be the thing. If you don't mind me asking, Ryan, what happened? And what, why didn't it work out at that point in your life? What was going on that you couldn't go straight into that subject?
1: So it wasn't a grades issue. I had the grades to be able to go and do yeah. what I wanted at the sixth form that I wanted to. It was more, um, I knew I needed to work um, alongside studying so that, um, I could support myself and not put pressure on my family based on the financial situation and things like that that they were in at the time so you know i could keep my career progressing without moving forward really nearly in a levels and then i just hit a, a buffer and a barrier so and it, it kind of ties into some of the things that i spoke about earlier around so sort of economic mobility and things like that that was that, that was really the buffer um you know all my friends were were going to my friends at the time, it, at that point in high school, they were all going to a certain sixth form college um, and really wanted me to go, but it, I had to kind of take that decision that I knew deep down it was, it was gonna come to probably an abrupt halt at some point. Um, yeah, so I, I, I went down the more voc- vocational route and yeah, that, that did have its benefits, to be fair, when I, when I got to uni. Um, you notice that you have certain skill sets over those who've done A-levels. Um, uh, but equally vice versa as well, you know, with the nature of degree courses, they try and cater to as many different types of entrants as possible. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't I, I would say now I'm actually in work. That course has probably gave me a really, really good grounding yeah. um, that I maybe wouldn't have got if I would have done A-levels. But if I was to be critical of the course I did do um a levels probably would have given me a better head start when i got to uni because i had a lot of catching up to do i would say with certain theory aspects that some of my friends at the time didn't have to
0: i guess it really really cements the fact that you wanted to do it then because you know if you you realized early on because you weren't gonna be able to go straight to a level straight to uni because you know money was a problem and like that is motorsport Mm. all over i mean like as soon as you start as soon as you start looking down the motorsport route here, money there, you know, you run into everyone runs yeah. into funding issues. But did, 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 what, what was it like for you like, about at that point in life going right? Actually, I've got to wait longer, or I've got I can't do the things my peers are doing. How did that affect you at that point in life?
1: It was sad knowing that I wasn't going to see the same set of friends every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, <laughs> be honest, I didn't particularly enjoy the job that I had to take up at that time to uh, you know support myself uh, a bit more financially. But um, I think. It, it was really kind of in a way that the adversity is the thing that really tests whether you want to do something. And that's why I had to keep kind of reminding myself. You know, my parents were, were quite good at saying, you know, we, we want you to go further than, than we did. And, you know, we want you to kind of get out of the town that you grew up in and really go and, and take your chances and explore and things like that. So, um you know whenever things got tough that was just really kind of at the back of my mind like you know this tough period will come to an end and it will get better and I will have my moments where I can have my fun and you know the things that maybe those who have got some of the more fi- of the financial freedoms at that age were able to enjoy um around people that were really familiar to them but I made some good friends on on the courses that uh I, I was on and um yeah to be honest you just kind of naturally adapt to the situation and with working as well it was it was uh, a bit of a customer facing role as well so uh, that builds your people skills up so if you if you, you're lacking in that area before you certainly weren't after a few months um which then again helps to form like relationships and uh, things like that so yeah um it was tough but i look back on it now and it's like well it's probably helped to shape me into into who i am today as cheesy as that kind of sounds but
0: it's great that you've taken a positive outlook you've not held it back as the sort of you know Cursing the the, the situation, you blaming everyone else but yourself. You've taken it on your chin and gone. Actually, you know, I'll work through it. And what's the worst that happens is you know I, I mean, you've taken that attitude and it seems like you're better off for it because now you're doing what you're doing now. So when you got into uni, when you you did that course, what, was it everything you thought it would be? What, what was the experience like for you? And what were you taught? Not obviously, don't, don't tell me everything you were taught would be a hours. But um, <laughs> what, what did it what did it <laughs> teach you in terms of like? You know be um, engineering as a subject is, and what, what it can do for you leaving leaving uni as well
1: it's a good question so um it was not 100 percent what i expected um and I, you know, always when you go into something you, you try and set the bar low in terms of expectations so you're not disappointed but um and i wasn't disappointed with the course that i was on i should state that clearly before i say what i'm gonna say but um so if i take it back slightly I, Uh, Because I did the BTEC, there was uh, a sort of limit as to some of the universities that would accept me with just naturally the the qualification that I had. Um, And Lancaster, where I went, were were one of very few uh, who who I would sort of rank as a top uni, sort of, you know, top 10, top 15 in the UK kind of thing. who said okay yeah you can you can come and study straight onto our first year in the engineering course but their exact words were we want pretty much perfect grades across the board in the course that you're doing so there was no margin for error pretty much um yeah luckily i managed to pull that off but yeah (laughs) um yeah, yeah exactly yeah um so i kind of had an inkling that they they felt like they were taking a bit of a risk with the nature of the challenge of their course but they were Willing from the interview I gave to to give me that chance, and I was I'm forever grateful for for doing it. But yeah, in terms of what what it was like, for all of, pretty much most of my friends had done A levels and and some had had opportunities that I could have, have only dreamed of. In all honesty, and been to some really top schools and things like that. And and in all honesty, it it showed for so for me putting in twice the effort. Sometimes I get half the marks because I just wasn't I didn't come into that environment sort of ready. Mm-hmm for how, how the university wanted to teach the programme. And it was about me trying to fit that, um, coming from a, a really quite different background, rather than them trying to sort of cater to me, which I thought, okay, challenge accepted. I can either give up and, and go back to where I grew up and just say, I tried-ish, but you it know, wasn't for me. It didn't really fit who I was or whatever. Or I could just sort of grit my teeth and go, well, this is what it must be like to try and move forward and, and overcome a challenge. And uh, so slowly but surely, it's, it's funny because when I look at my friends who, they, they generally the trend was, those who done A-levels and, and, and done really well at sixth form, they started with incredibly high marks in first year. And then you look at their transcripts and it, it generally starts to tail off as the course goes on. And they, it doesn't mean that they've done bad at the end. It's just, you know, it, it, the, there's a drop because the course has got harder for them. For me, what I found is I started pretty poor, in all honesty, but then mine started to go up because the more the course became about actually working as a professional engineer, delivering professional level outputs, which is what my, um, uh, my vocational course was already kind of teaching me, um, yeah, mine, mine started to pick up, but we, uh, we all kind of left the course at pretty much the same sort of level, which I guess as, a, as courses go, it's probably quite a good thing, really, just um, sort of, Get a a good set of people kind of in the middle, so to speak, or doing relatively well. So, yeah, uh, that's kind of what it it was like, really. I mean, in terms of the course content, um, really varied. So, the first two years of my degree were uh, a mixture of mechanical, electrical, and electronics, software, chemical engineering, a little bit of nuclear on the side, uh, and then general mathematics. And then and then only from third year onwards do you actually then start picking modules that are specific to the degree that you, you, you said you wanted to do. So um, I think one of the reasons I, I, uh, I took a hit on my transcripts and my grades in first year was because I was terrible at chemical engineering. I'll be the first to admit it. and I never <laughs> want to take a job in that industry because I don't think anyone would trust me to take a job in that industry based yeah. on some of the marks I got in it. So, yeah.
0: No, it's interesting, isn't it, because you, you go into – anything in life thinking would be one way and it ends up being completely different like you can't control it at all and it's all about you know just kind yeah. of going with the flow and i know that i didn't go to university but what i did is work for however long i mean it was i had a yeah. i had a apprenticeship course i wanted to do which which i didn't get into but it was more about you know how can how can you solve the problem of you know getting back into you know the industry i loved and the... it's great to hear that you know even though it's again the next year you go to university to do a mechanical engineering degree course And you're actually, you're given chemical, electrical software, all these different things. It's like, actually, you need to kind of have a a broad view of what's going on before you can do the thing you want to do. And again, it's meeting that resistance to make sure that you actually want to do the thing you're doing.
1: It's, um, I mean, in terms of the current day role I do now as a systems engineer, I, I very, very rarely do any sort of mechanical engineering. But actually not necessarily the content I learned in the degree and I'm not sitting there sort of like pulling lecture notes up and going, Oh yeah, I remember that equation. Right. And then, you know, plugging the numbers in occasionally you'll come, you'll be in a role where you do need to call upon that, but most of the time you don't, it's, it's kind of breeding the mindset is what I've sort of taken away from it. It's breeding that mindset of when you're faced with an engineering challenge, everything is so uh, interdisciplinary now with AI machine learning, um, you know, you just look at a mobile phone and think how many different types of engineers, and specialisms and then broader engineers that are need, needed to pull the whole thing together. Um, that's essentially what it's like in most engineering roles, whether you work in a startup or whether you work in a, in a massive company and you're a little bit of the bigger piece, that bigger piece is normally quite huge. And what you've taken on is it's still got little elements of, of um, lots of different things and you've got to speak with lots of different engineers who've, Some of them have got 20, 30, 40 years experience on you. And uh, sometimes it feels like it, but uh, (laughs) having the broader background, at least it means that uh, you can pick up most of what they're saying in those initial conversations and digest it and figure out where you want to take what you're doing.
0: Yeah, And and Ryan, speaking of startups, IDACI Motorsport, (laughs) how did you get to where you are today? What is the, what is the purpose of it and what is it all about?
1: Yeah. So, uh, the first kind of murmurs of an idea of what you see it as now um, really started very back end of, of finishing university, which means uh, un- annoyingly the first COVID lockdown. I didn't have much on my plate because I was just kind of locked away, not really doing much. Um, and uh, yeah, I uh, I was sitting there thinking, okay, well I've you know I've done Formula Student or most of it anyway. I, I, annoyingly, I didn't actually get to the final competition because covid hit and that interrupted our build <laughs> um it's uh, that and i volunteered at, at green power events and things like that and i've done i uh, i helped out at, at, at various different sort of most sport competitions and the, it kind of had a bit of a brainwave of i wonder if there's uh, a way to take some of the, the best elements from all of those and wrap it into something and then It was around the time, maybe I'm thinking a bit further ahead here, but obviously Robot Wars is now no longer on our screens on the the BBC. But uh, that was the the first sort of STEM competition I'd ever seen where there was lots of bells and whistles around it. It was quite grassroots, you you know, families, you were seeing families, uh, sons and dads taking part uh, at quite a high level, getting themselves Mm -hmm. on TV and fighting with these robots. And that was the sort of STEM element and the learning. But of course, you had studio audiences, you had visual effects, the very best in cutting-edge visual and audio tech to make it appealing to the masses and for people to get excited about watching it. So I sat there and I thought, well, what if you combined that with grassroots motorsport? Because at the moment, you know, if you watch karting um, and I find karting really interesting to watch, but for a casual sort of motorsport fan, I'm guessing they're probably not tuning into a YouTube live stream every weekend or every two weeks or whatever, and sitting there watching the, the sort of eight hour, nine hour stream of, of carts whizzing around the track. So I kind of sat there and thought, well, what would it take? Or what would it perhaps look like to take the next generation into grassroots motorsport through a way that's actually entertaining and engaging, not just for them, but for also their parents and therefore the rest of their siblings. And before you know it, you've kind of captured the wider public's imagination. So that's really kind of what Adachi Motorsport is there to do. It's got two arms, really. It's got the events and entertainment side of it. And then it's got the the bit that feeds that, which is the STEM learning and uh, the actual race championships. And uh, in the early part of October, so in a couple of weeks, we're releasing our new STEM clubs for Mm -hmm. schools to sign up across the UK. So we're getting going now with that feeder piece. And I guess the the best way I'd phrase that is uh, what what STEM clubs are like or modeled on is that we've sort of dubbed it sort of scouts for motorsport. So we've really focused on um, uh, how do we, rather than give sort of magical sort of one-off experiences in motorsport that cost quite a lot of money to do, but they're sort of like flashes in the pan and they don't really stick with a young person for that long unless it really captures their imagination. What we want is a program of uh, or a club where regularly you're coming to it each week and you're slowly but surely building up your skills, building up your interest in, it might be motorsport, but it it may also be other areas of science, tech, engineering, arts and maths, hence we call them STEAM clubs because that's the acronym. Um, And yeah, you can really uh, develop yourself as a young person and then you get the chance to really showcase what you can do on a, a bigger platform level than really we've ever seen at the grassroots level before.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for pronouncing it dutchie for me because I still can't do it. But there we go. As well as afraid. <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> yeah, there, we go. there we go. I got it. First, um, first time I was practicing it before 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 you came on. Um, <laughs> bottled it. But there we go. Um, it's interesting because you, you mentioned scouts. I mean, scouts for, like scouts for STEM. You know, it's it's a club for you know kids, mm. and for parents that may be listening or parents that you know know what scouts are because I did scouts. I know what scouts is. You know, you tie knots. Yeah. You you burn people accidentally <laughs> you, you you know you, put, you get into a tent and you learn how to tie a knot like that is scouts yeah. um and occasionally you cook some food but for t- parents how would you explain what this what a kid going into this club is going to get out of it
1: yeah so um similar to scouts we have a sort of badge system and that's covered that covers everything from design building things testing things actually racing things as well um and then we've got additional life skills kind of built in there, not quite the same as tying knots and, and, you know, being in a tent and things like that, but more sort of focused on, okay, if you wanted a career in motorsport or STEM, what are the supporting skills you might need? So things like learning the basics of business, uh, things like uh, physical and mental wellbeing and sport and things like that. So. Yeah, that's kind of the framework and the structure that we put in place to sort of monitor the progress as, you, you, as a young person going through our sort of club system, if you like, as they get older. In terms of what they'd actually be doing, so we've, uh, in our first year, we're gonna be running a scale electric Championship. So depending on what age range you're in, and this is one of the core activities, uh, you'll be designing, building, testing, and racing your own small car. Um, and based on what age range you are, you'll be given some kit, and for other age ranges, you'll be given maybe very little because it's just focused on, you know, you, you really exercising your skills and your academic knowledge already to yeah. take on that challenge. Um, yeah, we've got the, the Alex yeah. Rich Championship, which... Um, it then includes sort of various different race formats. So you actually get to obviously engage with, with the toy is, but also then race your own car. But then you also get the chance to take on things like the business skills and think about how would I go about sponsoring my little car? Who, who would that appeal to? How would I create my own custom liveries? So we're building in artistic skills as well. And then every year, what we should see is is a young person ramping up their skills and ability as the championship gets harder and harder for different age groups, all the way up to the point where we actually have a badge in uh, AI and machine learning, where we want students to be able to program the cars going around the tracks themselves without the controllers and identifying um, how they can set the fastest lap times possible and and that sort of thing. Um, All the way down to the very early years where it's simply focused on building your own little custom bodywork, Uh, and then competing in lots of different fun race formats to just learn the very basics of uh, of motorsport. And then obviously everything in between in the grand scheme of things. And then on top of the championship, which is sort of the core activity for uh, this upcoming academic year, we've got um, various different race experiences uh, planned as well. We've got... um, uh, what else have we got? We've got some work experience and volunteering opportunities that we're going to be regularly posting and allowing young people to get involved in. Um, we've got partnerships with uh, the Global Sports Innovation Center, uh, which is powered by Microsoft. So uh, that gives us access to a whole range of different companies developing various different solutions and things in uh, across STEM, but also entertainment, sport uh, and culture and arts and all that sort of thing. So um, ho- what we... It's, it's less focused on being aligned so much with academic terms um, and yeah. more focused on teachers. You kind of know your students better than, than we do. So here's a whole raft of things that you can do. Um, and in the weekly sessions, you pick what you think is going to best meet the needs of your students. And that means then that each student's experience is tailored to what they actually want to work towards, what they enjoy, and what they're going to get the most out of as well.
0: Yeah. So is this, then if I'm understanding correctly, it's run through a school, it's not an actual club after school or is it it both? They've got the option to do both. We're expecting it to
1: be mostly an after school thing. But what we've done is aligned the badge uh, grading metrics and criteria against what you'd expect to find um, for similar topics in the national curriculum. So if a teacher decides, actually really fits in with a certain lesson I'm going to be teaching my students anyway, they can decide okay, let's turn my standard lesson into almost a club lesson in a way and, and just really elevate that.
0: No, it's great. It's, it's one of those things where you think about if I was eight years old sitting in the classroom and then suddenly you, you get scale electrics out in front of me. I'm going to start paying more attention to what you're saying <laughs> there, there, and just throwing pieces of paper around. <laughs> yeah. it, it, That's it, actually
1: it, a lot more fun with scale electrics.
0: No, it's fantastic, Ryan. It really is. It's, uh, it's amazing to hear that you, know, you've, you spend so much time thinking about the club system and making, you know, making it lesson-friendly so it's easy for schools to integrate into what they're doing. And I think it's it's mm. it's brilliant. I mean, how did you come up with the idea? What was mentioned, like you know, your whole thing is it was you know different for you school-wise. But how did you come up with the ideas, the mm. systems, and stuff like that to get, to get into for kids to get into it? In all honesty, probably the STEM clubs.
1: I keep calling them STEM clubs. Sorry, the STEAM clubs. They came out of a failure, pretty much. We early forms of Adachi Motorsport, So we to give you a bit of a background. We registered on Companies House in November 22. We went social media live on my birthday, which was nice and busy, on <laughs> January the 15th this year. Um, and for a good six month period, we were essentially a race championship provider. And we were going to schools directly with, we've got these different race championships. they cover different age ranges. So you can see, already see some of the similarities to what we have now. And I was going to schools and I was, from everyone who I was able to speak to, the feedback was always, I don't want to brag, but it, it was really good. It was, people were telling us, we love this, we really want to adapt it, and adopt it into what we're doing. Let's have a, further conversations with those who make the decisions in schools. And then, for whatever reason, we'd find that, and it might, it might be something on the school side, or it may not, we'd find that we'd constantly be hitting a buffer. There'll always be a reason why we didn't really hear back from a school again. Um, and I'm sort of, we're sort of sitting there scratching our heads thinking, okay, we keep being told that this is great, so why is no one quite signing up to the level that we're expecting? And, and, and to be honest, that's almost the worst position to be in because if you're told that something's not good, you can act on it. When you're told something's great and then you don't, you're not actually seeing the results, it's like, okay, so what am I actually doing wrong? So it, it took a, a deep dive from me. A bit, um, a bit of lessons learned as well from our exhibit at Goodwood this year in the summer. And after Goodwood, I just sort of sat by myself going through in my head, all the things that I had been able to pick up and little nuances and things that people had said maybe. And so sat through, you know, use my systems engineering brain, if you like, to really meticulously detail out where we could improve. And then the penny kind of dropped that the ultimate thing that I can do is make this as much like something else that the general public and everyone's going to understand as, Mm. as possible. In my head, I've been looking at this as you know, race championships. That I don't know what a race championship is, I, I, but I, at no point did it, it click in my brain. I'm a motorsport fan, so of course I know what a race championship is. When I explain it, it's just, it, it's obvious. You know? <laughs> but to a teacher who maybe, I don't know, has taught history for 20 years, they look at it and of course they're going to go, wow, this looks amazing. But actually they come away and maybe the lack of follow-up is because they didn't I thought would be rude, but maybe they just didn't get it, or they didn't understand it enough to confidently go to the next stage and, and take it on. So, I think um, what we've done now is we've we, we've done quite a bit of work, and I'm starting to, to increase that amount of work with uh, STEM learning, the governing government organisation in the UK that manages all of the uh, the links between businesses in STEM and schools that are looking to put STEM education into their curriculums. And I'm really, in you know, fact rinsing through with them what do you think of this do you you like it where could it be improved how how can we make this as palatable for as many people as possible who maybe have never come across this before for a teacher that say for example is going to be a club leader and they've taught history for 20 years and this is part of their Mm. professional development they've got no idea what motorsport is generally they've never watched a formula one race and this is presented in front of them do they know what to do that's ultimately the acid test and i think I think with the formats that we've got and the back end work that we've done to try and give as much as we possibly can to the most palatable way that we possibly can because obviously teachers don't have a lot of time that's another challenge in itself yeah. um, I th- I think we're I, th- I think we're in a good place but we'll see we'll see in early October
0: <laughs> exactly we'll find out when the, when the academic year starts and then kids start reacting or not yeah. reacting to, to what you've come up with but I can't see I can't yeah. see why I'm not to be honest with you um, it seems like it's going to work because I, I know that well, I, I I occasionally go into schools but i, I go from another end so i go from year 12 until i go into the uh kind of with your memo of look i've spoken to people from doing everything from what you're doing to you know going and being an engineer and again they don't really give you a lot up front they're very sort of you know because i remember being 16 and, and you know wanting to not wanting to put my hand up being embarrassed to say anything because you know mate or some people in the corner might start laughing you and it's hard to coax it out of kids and young adults that want to want to pursue their passion not not be judged for it and how are you how are you guys dealing with that side of things you know if young eight-year-old timmy wants to stay behind and and do the scale ethics club or you know jess whoever wants to how are you dealing with that side of things if you are staying behind school and there's there's a club so you're around about people but is there anything for that you mm-hmm. think, because you mentioned um, mental and physical well-being. That's what I thought I'd ask. Yes.
1: I think what, we, what we're doing sort of within the club structure um, is really kind of making sure that we, as much as possible, and, and it is going to vary slightly depending mm-hmm. on clubs, situations, schools, but that we really create that sense of community. Um, now, that, In scouts, that kind of means you wear a uniform and obviously your parents are then going to pay for that and the neckerchief and I could never get the neckerchief right. I, could never, I was always told off for having it too pointy at one end and then too loose at the front end. But yeah, so there's no neckerchiefs in Adachi sports STEM clubs. But, um, <laughs> but things like, you know, having ha- things like badges, having sort of that friendly competition, but mm. something that just really focuses the minds of young people In no matter what walk of life they come from, you know, with regards to things like price points and club memberships and things like that, we've really focused on keeping that cost down as as much as we possibly can. And that's another thing that we've improved on the previous iteration of what we had. Um, And equally, I think, yeah, it's it's really about creating that sense of community. I think just, you know, focusing um, the minds of young people to really work together within the race formats that we come up with and, you know, showcasing that you don't have to be best friends with someone to just be able to work with someone and respect someone. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Motorsport UK have their race with respect um, uh, guidelines and things like that. So we adopted uh, quite a bit of that into what will be our newly released safeguarding policy and things like that for these clubs, which we actively encourage teachers to be, to be promoting as a key part of it. And the good thing. is the club with a sense of identity at the very beginning you can really lay out as a teacher and also looking at our framework what do we want this club to be what kind of environment do we want to create you know, it's do we want it to really feel like another lesson on on top of school or do we want it to feel more like it's for fun you know? and really just being able to allow students to take the mind off the stresses that they've got outside of the club sessions, whether even if it was in the previous lesson, it doesn't matter, that's like gets wiped clean. You're now a member of, of this club and you're at this session and you're there to just enjoy it uh, and just have fun. And I think making sure that we communicate with teachers, like the attitude that, and, uh, that we want to get across and out of you is that you're less teacher and more club leader and there is a difference. And hopefully the students will then see that difference as well.
0: And just, you've you still got a full time job while doing all this, right? Like, you're still yeah, yeah, <laughs> working well. <laughs> what you've just described to me isn't exactly, you know, setting up a, setting up a club and letting it run itself. You've, you've thought about this quite a bit, you know, with, like, you say, the systems involved and the, you have a flipping childcare policy with it. I mean, like, yes, it's it's I guess you have to because it's schools, but still, like, it seems like everything this yeah. is very well thought out. How are you coping?
1: I am coping. Uh, <laughs> <Good> day, right
0: <laughs> glad to hear it yeah no
1: i'm uh, i'm joking i it's uh I, oh i'm not gonna lie it's a challenge i think i said in the previous podcast my calendar is is uh my best friend mm. so uh that's I'm very true. Sure over the past few weeks we've got a, quite an important design review coming up in, uh, in my day role in fact that's i say coming up it's literally tomorrow uh, We've got plenty on in the day role we've got obviously the clubs releasing in early october but It's kind of peaks and dips. Not everything stays full on all the time. It's just about managing that. And uh, I think, to be honest, I've experienced the burnout before. I've experienced the burnout doing, committing maybe similar or even more effort to what I'm doing now to things that I didn't necessarily care too greatly about or didn't really Mm. inspire me to put in the extra hours or get out of bed earlier or whatever. Uh, But Adachi Motorsport does. It's... My baby, ultimately, you know, um, and when things go wrong with it, it, um, it hits you differently, and it makes you want to push hard to make sure that never happens again. So, yeah, uh, I have thought you've kind of picked up on. I've thought a lot about the operational side of things and and providing the best. Uh, I was going to call it customer service. I guess it's sort of almost teacher service in a way, yeah. and therefore in turn club member service that we possibly can uh, to make sure that that. Just keep everybody content and happy um and that's going to mean you know i'm going to have to probably expand the team as we as we grow uh, and i'm very aware of that and uh, a little way i'm probably quite looking forward to that if that happens because it means i can focus on other things and uh, and maybe reduce the workload slightly which in reality we know that's not going to happen because there'll always be something new that i need to bring in <laughs> i'll just replace it with something else so uh,
0: yeah <laughs> no it's, it's- Right, because, you know, it, and speaking of, you know, growing the team and, and the future, Ryan, if I was to say to you, everything you want to happen will happen in the next sort of five, ten years. Um, the World your oyster. What do you see you, uh, Datchy Motorsport, doing in that, in that time?
1: I have a big ambition, a one key goal I'd love to achieve, which is I'd love to be the first or one of the first circuit racing championships broadcast globally, um, but from Africa. I think that's such an untapped part of the world. Um, it, you know, we, our, our mission is to enhance social and economic mobility in STEAM through the means of motorsport. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, when you look at African countries, they love motorsport, especially rallying. Um, and some of the stages that they've got over there, they, they're absolutely mad for it. She doesn't have the investment and the money, and not many people really know about it in, in, um, in sort of big chunks. So that's something I'd love to achieve. Um, I'd love to be able to make a difference uh, to not just young people, but generally those communities out there. And um, I've already engaged in some conversations to have some good African talent support our business as we look to grow. Um, yes. And, you know, for example, providing some of that customer service, you know, why couldn't we use a couple of people from Africa who've got the skill sets, who know our business, and, and therefore, you know, use that as a, a way into that country to help us? expand the business over there, but equally support us in the UK as well and things like that. Um, and I think there's the one thing um, that a fellow engineer said to me, who also is embarking on his own startup in, uh, in the design engineering space at the moment. He said to me, um, the one thing you've always got to remember Ryan is there's always enough to go around. And I think that's so true. Yeah. If you, if I approach this, this business with you know, global ambitions, but equally I, focus purely on how much money it's making of course we, we've got to we've got to keep the business going i'm not naive enough to know that uh, to not yeah. know that but um i just want as many people to engage with this as possible and whatever form that then takes is the form that it takes and and yeah if percentage of the of the world's population africa makes up but i'm going to assume it's a very sizable chunk i should probably know that number but i've forgotten it. but yeah if so if if there's a big untapped market there, I'm I'm going to do my best to try and uh, to try and get into it and uh, and really show that something different can be done in the motorsport and, and entertainment space.
0: That's great because I I again because I speak about the podcast and you know, I I try and help I say I try and help people. This I mean I help people by producing media. That's the way I do it. You know, I can't I yeah. can't do what you're doing because I've not got a background in engineering. But what I can do is facilitate conversations like these for people listening yeah. to then know about what you're doing. And I've had a few people from Africa message me on Instagram, whether they're real or not, who knows, but generally asking, yeah. I'm from this town. How can I do this? How can I get into this? And I, I mean, for me, I don't know about you, but I think LinkedIn's a great tool for like, just connecting mm. with people in motorsport. Cause I mean, everyone, they're from racing drivers to race engineers to pit bosses who are on LinkedIn.
1: Yeah. Read And, um, I think it, we've. I, I just recently got LinkedIn Gold. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate that we, uh, as part of our Global Sports Innovation Center membership, we uh, also got uh, applied for and successfully got Microsoft for Startups membership as well. So nice. I was able to get a little discount on LinkedIn Gold. So I can now maximize everything that uh, can bring, um, at least for the next four months anyway, at discounted rate. So <laughs> uh, I'm pretty chuffed with that. So yeah, but no, yeah, I get what you mean. And it's um, untapping platforms like linkedin and just the internet generally i think um it really allows you to connect with other parts of the world that i think feel so far away but actually you can bring them quite close and you realize there's a lot of shared values and a lot of um a lot of progress and a lot of things that you can achieve together
0: yeah um and brian before we get on to the end the five questions i have at the end i do have a question you mentioned ai and i know i know little bits about ai i use chat that's pretty much my experience with ai yeah. How are you integrating it into? I mean, <laughs> sixteen-year-olds. How is that working, and what is your experience with it as a company?
1: So um, the way we're integrating it with younger audiences is first, there's got to be the awareness piece. So they've got to understand the basics of generally what is the definition of AI, and it, it even for people who've worked in the sector for years, it's really muddy and it feels like it changes all the time. But um, it's nice to see the UK government is starting to think about some sort of AI strategy, which then will start to drip feed into the education system of, okay, we probably want to start teaching young people from about seven or eight, so this sort of stuff. Yeah. There's a really good, uh, I, I forget the name, but there's a lecturer at the University of Southampton, I think, who, uh, who runs a small, I don't know if it's a business, but he's got a web page, essentially where it's essentially machine learning for kids. So, I don't know if you remember the programming language, scrap, language Scratch.
0: No, of course. No um, cats.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, what he's done is he's sort of come up with content that integrates pre trained AI models and machine learning models uh, using Scratch as the platform. So, it's a, it, the coding issue is, uh, or the ability to code in, say, C or you know, whatever Python language you know, Python you're using, or R or whatever that barrier is taken away and you can get straight to how does a a deep learning model work? How does this machine learning model work and and learning a bit about the mathematics behind that and just sort of linking it to sort of fun games. So we're looking to utilize things like that quite a lot within our sort of badge system and then What we'll then progress students on towards is using, is integrating some of the the coding skills that you will need as you start to get older and they're becoming more and more relevant in industry today. Using platforms like Arduino and Raspberry Pi to code up solutions so that things like scale cars and maybe any other type of motorsport vehicle or project that they've worked on, they can implement certain things into say the race cars that they're working on, uh, the scale race cars, I should say to do things like, um, you know, learn a track, but learn the real intricacies of a track. Obviously, it's on a rail, but how do I get around this rail with the magnet removed at the fastest speed possible without the, the rear end sort of kicking out and things like that? And, and that's something that will really take a lot of uh, iterations and um, will really kind of spread out a field of competition who are taking in that part of our scale electric Championships in future. Um, and it sets them up then for understanding the real basics of machine learning and, and the core fundamentals to take on more, you know, whether it be like a degree at university post-18 in sort of machine learning or computer science or something like that. Um, and be able to take the internships and work experience where they can really hit the ground running because they understand, hey, I made this device actually, you know, perform certain functions through, you know, coding it and, and Going through that, uh, those experiences and I think that's something that I haven't really seen yet um, before the sort of very end of university for, within engineering courses, I would say. I, I know former student has an AI competition, but generally you're probably about 22, 23 by the time you get to, to that sort of level. Um, and I think it would be good to have something that's a bit more introductory and a bit more staged right from the early years of when you were a child all the way up to
0: yeah um seventeen eighteen no, it's great isn't it because like, I, I, some people I mentioned AI to in the podcast, and they just don't you can tell it have the clip because they just yeah. either the, the their answers <laughs> to the questions are very short or they just straight up and say you don't really know a lot about it but I think it's important that you know even if you are teaching seven and eight year olds just what AI is letting them know that it's a thing that they can use, and again, I know yeah. it's a controversy in schools that you know using AI to write your Maths paper is oh, not, that's probably the wrong thing. English paper is, is probably, you no know, the bad way of using it, but just yeah. comes first, you get a good grade, I have to be honest. If, you, if you're smart enough to be able to use it that way, you deserve the grade. But, but Ryan, like I said, there, there are sort of like five quick questions I ask at the end of the podcast. Uh, and the first one of those yeah. being, what is your ultimate three-car garage?
1: I feel like this changed when I went to Goodwood this summer. So I would put in, the first one i put in is the McLaren,
0: uh, that was, that
1: was... I, I don't know if you saw it because uh, you were at goodwoods
0: for, I, I was only there for a day and i missed out on seeing you because that's what was annoying but um, there we go but yeah no, i saw Talked about the hill it was
1: amazing <laughs> that's
0: what was going to be my question
1: did you see it go up the hill because I, I did get the chance to and I, I was just taken aback by the sound of it so yeah i've uh, I, i've got to have that in there mm. second one i would put in oh this is so tricky I'd probably put in a Jaguar E type, I think. I love, a bit of a sucker for all the cars actually, but I, I do, something about those cars are just so pretty and so elegant. I think I'd have to have that in there. But I'd be so conscious of like hitting something or a stone hitting it. It's, it's a, it's a three car garage, but it stays in the garage, you know. Um, yeah, so I then the third one i probably probably have something fun very light so i would go for probably like a a mini one two seven five gt three two thousands kind of era or something like that um something you can have a lot of fun in and just take it up a country road and and rag it round obviously within speed limits
0: obeying all speed limits (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) no guy mini is mini fantastic i've always said like my drink I, there's a lot of cars. That I My dream car was a Mini. Um, I mean, I don't see the point of saving up for one because I just they keep going up in price, so I would have to keep saving more money. But there is there is that. But no, I think that and the, also the Judd V10 in that car is is incredible, isn't it? You just those guys just know how to mm. make, a, make an engine. Played simple. Yeah. Right. Um, well, the, the next question is: um, You've got one car to drive on any road or track, but you can only do it once. Where would you go and what would you take?
1: Mm, okay uh only because i realistic and because i actually want to own the car that i'm going to say so uh mazda mx5 specifically mine um and the roads that i would i could say nurburgring but then i'd just be worried that uh, I've, I've got a bit of a suspension issue at the moment so i'm worried that i'd probably ruin that so <laughs> um, if your car
0: was perfect let's say it was brand new no. Uh, the- okay
1: no, actually, you know what? It doesn't change my answer. So, there's uh, Honeston Pass in the Lake District. I've never taken my current car up there. In fact, I've never properly driven up it. I it was at uni, I was in the hiking club, and um, there's a, a little hostel at the top of Honeston Pass up there. And so, I've technically been driven up it in a big van. And that van, this was like the middle of January a few years ago. The snow hit and we had to park the van about half a mile down the mountain and carry all of our kit up to the up to the hostel at the top so uh, i i do i love that road and it's got a lot of memories um yeah. associated with it but i'd actually love to drive it on a nice sunny day in my car just experiencing that with the roof down that would be yeah i'd, I'd be pretty yeah. content
0: so i mean it sounds great I mean the lake district's amazing I and mean, you're, mm. you're closer to scotland so there's, there's that as well so you just just stay up there. I think it's probably the best thing. Best thing if you like a car <laughs> a road that in Wales. Yeah, I, yeah I've, I've never been there. I'll have to add that to my list of places to go. But I, I would recommend anyone go to Nurburgring. Anyone, just go regardless of how you yeah. get there. It's a, it's a track that I know. It's a it's just like can't just drive walk there if you really have to. <laughs> get a lift. Yeah. Yeah. No, but yeah, right. And the next question is, I know, and I listen because this podcast is about you know showing people what's possible and. I like to think that this question kind of roots out if you're doing the right thing or not. And it is, if you could do anything, money, no object, what would you do for a living?
1: That's a good question. Uh, See, I could say my startup, but I also kind of feel like there will come a point where I'm probably not gonna do that anymore. You know, the point where it feels like right now in my life with my experiences, it feels right to be taking that idea and really bringing it into fruition. Maybe I'll always be on like the advisor's board if it became huge or whatever. But I feel like um, there was, uh, I'm not really massively into politics, but there was one saying that was, um, that I was the future once. I feel like that's probably going to be the case with my staff, but there's going to be a point where i all I can to it and it's time for someone else to take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. So um, I would probably be, I love the countryside, uh, I'd probably be a farmer. I'd probably own my own land and i'd, just, I'd, I'd be a farmer and my, my girlfriend loves the countryside too so I, I think she'd probably join me on that as well
0: but it's nice too isn't it? i guess you looking after land tending it you know it's doing, doing the same thing yeah. it's just and yeah you said like i, I like that like that saying you know i was the future once because you know you can't be in that company well, you can't be in the company forever but someone's going to come along with you know, more experience in a certain area that will help a company grow and you know being able to take a step back is, mm. is important and you know, know like where you're needed and where you're not needed i think that's brilliant hindsight as well to have for, for someone that's just started a company <laughs> actually i know that in five, <laughs> ten years 20 years or it's going to be i'm going to quit because someone's going to come along and i want to work for me and what yeah. want to work for the company and make it better yeah i'm always expecting it i'm always expecting to log,
1: log into social media one day and go oh christ someone else coming along with a really good idea that's you know better than mine and think oh god uh, yeah I, it, what drives you on you know um just continuously be, be better so Hopefully you can push back that date as, as far as it will go.
0: But. I agree with you. Like I said, I don't know where I'm going to start making money with this podcast, but I think hopefully something's going to happen. And it's going to you know, take its turn or someone's going to... Anyway, whatever's going to happen. I, I, I need to start making money because I, I need to do more things with it. It needs to grow. It needs to get bigger. So, yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that yeah. one. You know, at some point, you know, I won't be running this podcast anymore. Someone else will. And so it will stay like <laughs> for, for the ages. But yeah, the, right, the next question is the advice you would give to a young person that wants to pursue something with their passion.
1: Consistency is key, I think, follow a lot of Stephen Bartlett. um, So apologies if I sound a bit like him when I um, say this, but there's a lot of posts and content that he comes up with, comes out with, sorry, that um, really about just experiment, you know, and obviously there's financial constraints, there's reasons why maybe you can't do things, but there's nothing stopping you from keep your testing and testing and keep trying and his attitude to business. and pretty much his whole life is, I just out-fail everyone. And then eventually, you're going to get it wrong so many times that you eventually can only possibly get it right. And then when you get it right, you've built up so much knowledge and experience throughout that process that it's, it's really sweet when you do get it right because you, you just nailed it and operationally you're, you're on it and you're ready to go. So I think, um, yeah, for, for me, I would just say for my advice for a young person would be just be persistent and be consistent um, showing up really matters uh, in what you're what you're doing and, and I guess another piece of advice is um, don't think that you've failed uh, if you feel like you need to quit quitting tactically can be really really effective mm. and good I think some of the best leaders in the world are the ones that have quit quite frequently when they've realized something's not working they'll start the next experiment you know, they move on to the next thing yeah those are the two pieces of advice i'd give um to a young person
0: and there's a great book called the dip which is all about quitting and knowing when to quit and knowing when to stick with things which i used when i left my full-time job and do this and i was like Mm. i could work in hospitality for the next 15 20 years yeah and i could probably run a restaurant by the time i'm 30 or i could quit now and you know spend those 10 years doing something i want to do and i think you're you're completely right with that you know learning knowing when to quit and having it not be a bad thing and not allowing the stigma of giving up and failing to be the reason you don't and ryan the last the last question is what, what do you love most about cars Ooh, i like the fact that they're the perfect blend of
1: science and art i think it's the one it's the reason why we've used motorsport as a means to develop the next generation of those to work in in steam really it's because we think we think it's probably the one area where it's got the most—it's uh, just got the most to offer. Whichever way you turn, there's so many different roles and avenues that all go into developing a, a car. Yeah, that's why I love about them the most, uh, and just the unpredictability of what's going to come out next, really.
0: All oh, right, it's been it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate you coming on and your time. Um, and your story is one that I hope will continue to be better and grow. But yeah, no, thanks for having
1: me. It's uh, only my
0: second podcast, so yeah. It's, it's been great. i have not
1: exactly experienced this, but no, uh, it's been a pleasure.
0: I've loved it. Thank you again for listening to the end of this episode. It means the world to me that you give your time to me and my guests. Like I said in the beginning, I want to make this the best podcast possible and without your support, it wouldn't be. So I ask if you could go to the show notes below and buy me a coffee to help with the editing and production. All of the money goes back into making this podcast as good as possible. And so with that being said, I'm Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. See you next week.